Welcome back to Raven's Recap. Today is a special episode. We made it 100 episodes since we started. What was that? Early April 2019. Yep. Early April 2019. Almost two years now, or three years? Two years. Two years. (laughs) Feels like three with the pandemic. But anyways. (laughs) (laughs) So for the hundredth episode, you guys know that during the off season, sometimes we like to do some look back episodes, go over some history of the Ravens franchise. Uh, Usually we do this episode more towards the summer as obviously we have draft prep to look at, but that'll come in the coming weeks. But today for the 100th episode, we wanted to look back and I guess make ourselves feel old 20 years ago. Gosh, Ravens Super Bowl 35 victory, first Super Bowl victory in Ravens history. And to talk about it with us, since three of us were very young football fans at the time, is a guy who was a little more seasoned in his football fandom during that time. My dad, Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super hyped about this show because I grew up knowing Mr. Chris basically my whole life, at least since I was five-ish. And um, I remember us like huddling around incredibly tiny TVs to watch various football games at church. And, and by incredibly tiny TVs, I mean like literally portable running on bat- batteries, <laughs> you know, 2.5. Exactly. You, you got a 3.5 inch screen and it was a whole new world. Like, <laughs> like actually make out the score. <laughs> yeah. It didn't have to be a commercial break to actually tell what is the score right now. <laughs> right, right. And by, and by battery powered TVs, we don't mean your phone. Just for any of you uh, super young fans out there, you know, we're, Alec, Peter, and I aren't that old, but we're we're old enough to remember the uh, portable, you know, CRT televisions or something, whatever they used to run on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they worked. They worked until HD uh, TV came in. They worked off the old uh, TV signals. Yeah. That's right. Two thousand, man. What a different time. So I guess to start with, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your background as a Baltimore sports fan and what you're Thoughts were about the team going into the 2000 season? Um, history of Baltimore sports fan. I mean, we can go way back. Um, I uh, grew up with my, my father uh, always wanting to go to Orioles games, and he actually had season tickets to the Baltimore Colts. You know, my father, when I was growing up, I had to learn all of the Orioles players. I had to know their names. He actually gave me a song to sing, uh, you know, after the, uh, you know, well, we had the 66, 67, I guess 66 World Series was the first one we won. But, uh, you know, the Orioles were always in the playoffs between 66 and like 75. And, and uh, you know, I went to some uh, World Series games in that time frame and uh, went to some Colts games. Um, I, like I said, my father had season tickets. I think they were in the end zone from what I remember. The Colts after like 1977 were heading downhill. You know, they were trying to be competitive, but not as much. And then, you know, they left in, in uh, after the 83 season. And uh, actually, I did get to go to a game during the 83 season, just talking about the, the Colts one second, and there was like hardly anybody there. We, uh, <laughs> we bought tickets for like the upper level, and we just started moving all around the stadium because there was like nobody there. And they were playing the, uh, the Patriots at the time, and the Patriots were, were nothing then. So, you know, there was hardly anybody at that game. Um, but, you know, I do remember the Colts leaving, and, you know, I remember, you know, thinking, you know, this can't be, I mean, we can't have, you know, no football in Baltimore, you know, this is ridiculous. We're going to get a team real soon, you know, and, um, you know, a few years went by and, and, uh, you know, everybody's talking about it and we're like, you know, when are we going to get another team? When are we going to get another team? And then we had a chance for, uh, it was the Cardinals, I believe. And people were all excited about that. And they were like, well, okay, you know, somebody stole our team. We'll steal their team. You know, we'll go ahead and look at the Cardinals and, they're, they're established. They're one of the beginning, you know, one of the first teams in the NFL. And uh, so that fell through. And uh, then over the years, gosh, nothing was happening. And then, uh, then you had the two expansion teams come in. We had the Jaguars and uh, who was the other team again? Panthers, I think. Oh, the Panthers, you're right. Yeah, Panthers. Yep. And, you know, we were all excited about that. We were thinking we could get one of those two teams. And that fell through for whatever reason at the time. You know, they're all saying they thought there'd be a bigger fan base for those two cities. There were rumors, you know, things going on in the background that, you know, the Redskins owner was stopping it from happening. And, you know, there's all kinds of rumors going around, but, you know, you never knew the full truth. They never really came out with the full truth. And uh, so Baltimore was hungry for football. And then the uh, funny thing was the CFL came to town 
and you had the uh, Baltimore Stallions playing here. And people started getting into that because we were, you know, we were like, well, there's no football. They're playing down at the Memorial. I think they played at Memorial Stadium, didn't they? I think they did. I think that's what Wikipedia says. <laughs> that's all I have no, to go yeah, off. I mean, it would have, it would, yeah, it would have slipping around then. Yeah. And I never made it to any of those games because uh, Peter and his sister Rachel were little at the time. And I wasn't taking them out to, to places like that. We were, we were doing more things like uh, watching Disney videos. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, then, then uh, I remember coming home from a work trip. I was in, at the airport and they had up on all the you know, TV screens, you know, Baltimore's going to get the uh, the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are coming to Baltimore, and that's that's the first one I saw that. And I went home that night and was watching the news, and you know that's all they were talking about. I mean, everybody's just talking about, hey, Baltimore's finally going to get a team again, and, uh, and we didn't hear too much about the controversy at first that I remember because you know the Baltimore news was trying to be positive about, it, and that's all they wanted to talk about is we were getting the team. But obviously, in Cleveland, uh, they were upset about it. Yeah. You had everything going on with Art Modell there but then uh Baltimore, you know the colts came to town i'm sorry the ravens came to town and uh <laughs> at first we didn't have a name for them i forgot how long it took to get the name quite honestly because uh it was really recent the 25th anniversary of them having a name it's the 29th i believe of, of march i think that yeah. was the official day yeah yeah a little earlier so, this week yeah yeah i so i i don't remember that as much because like you said quite honestly i was excited we had a team um so yeah, uh, when we finally got the name, I was like, okay, you know, there's our name, but uh, I was more excited that we had a team. And um, this guy I worked with, who happened to be my manager at the time, he came up to me like a week before the first game, which was at Memorial Stadium against Oakland Raiders. And he said, hey, how'd you like to go to the game? I got a free ticket for you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah obviously, sure. So we, uh, I got to go to the first game, uh, sat in the end zone in Memorial Stadium, was pretty interesting at that game because since the Colts were gone, a lot of people in Baltimore adopted other NFL teams. Uh, so the stadium wasn't, you know, all Ravens fans. Even though you had Baltimore people going to the game, you had a lot of Raiders fans there. There were a lot of people, you know, wearing Oakland Raider jerseys. And I remember some fans like getting into fights uh, around me. They started throwing beer. Uh, all of a sudden, these, these <laughs> flying past my head and uh the, the cops actually had to escort a couple people out so i you know i remember the beginning being a little bit rocky from that standpoint that uh you know it was funny that, that not everybody embraced them right away a lot of people still stuck with their their adopted uh their adopted teams yeah i mean so from that point on though i pretty much watched every game leading up to the super bowl season I was able to go to a couple games, wasn't able to take the kids along with me because uh, pretty much people were giving me free tickets. Uh, luckily, I made friends with some people that would give me tickets. But eventually, I started working for this company that uh, gave me some stock options, and I was able to buy uh, season tickets. So I ended up being a uh, PSL owner for a while and was able to get season tickets and got season tickets, actually got Tickets for the uh, the first playoff game against the the uh, Broncos, uh, which Peter did go to. Yeah, I remember that. Yep, and his sister, and they were it was it was very cold that day. I remember it was a pretty cold day, but uh, it was very exciting. You know, we were finally going to have a you know playoff game in Baltimore. I think the previous one was like 1977, right? Uh, so you know, it'd been a long time, uh, and uh, it was a very interesting, fun game, and uh, we won that game, so that was great. That's interesting too, because it is a it's a relic of that time uh, that that could happen. Because we we did not win the division, right? The Titans won the division, so the the fact that we still had a home playoff game is very interesting and just another kind of cool takeaway from the old uh, Central era. The old ways we did it, yeah. You could have two wild card teams, and one of them could host the home game. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, a lot of the people that I know that you know have have been around and and appreciated Baltimore sports for a while you know like I, I know my grandmother always a huge Baltimore Colts fan um, you know she talks about them a lot she talks about going to games all the time and and, and having a blast but I, I never could you know I never could really piece anything together between 
the time of the Colts and the Ravens until the first Super Bowl. It was kind of just like that it was kind of a blur. I mean, maybe that's me. I need to ask her some more questions and, <laughs> and ask for it. But it's just it, it never really had come up until, you know, now the Ravens are, are so established and they've, they've won so much. And now they're, you know, just so big in the Baltimore area that everybody's like, oh, yeah, like got Ravens fans like they're everywhere. You know, um, it's almost kind of like a lost era in, in some respects. As far as some other Baltimore sports, yeah, I, you know, my dad as well was, I think he's never been as, as big of a football fan as I have been. I think, you know, when he was growing up, it was all about the Orioles. He loves talking about the Orioles. He loves talking about watching uh, some of the greats from the 60s and 70s and the 80s play. Um, oh, yeah. Brooks Robinson, his favorite player, number five. Um, you know, he, he talks about him a lot. He talks about being able to meet him at one point. And uh, gosh, he just he is everything to say in the world about those guys but for the Ravens yeah again like you know the earliest memories for me and that I remember myself and and you know and my dad watching football together it's almost all it's like the 2000 season I don't remember anything before that it, it was just like the you know November December you know January football like when they were in the playoffs like that's when it became a big deal yep, exactly and the, and the Ravens uh weren't winning that much before that season, actually. I mean, well, I guess the season before we, it was a winning season, right? First winning season was the, yeah, the yeah. year before, but that, yeah. that is the other astounding thing about this playoff run is the first time they got to the playoffs, they decided to win it all. Yeah. And, uh, it's a real shame. We don't always do that. <laughs> Couldn't yeah. keep that tradition up. <laughs> but, but Baltimore's interesting in that. Cause if I remember correctly, the Colts did the same thing. The Colts, uh, they, they won the championship in their fifth season. Of course, they won it again the sixth season. They repeated, which the Ravens didn't do, but we can always talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to go back to to what we're talking about with how the Ravens, they struggled a bit out of the gate, which is understandable for a team in a new area, even if they weren't an expansion team. But I was looking back at their schedules in preparation for the show. So it looks like the first four seasons, they finished, they started out the year two and five in 96, 97, and 99. 98 was a little better. They started uh, three and four, but all those first three years, obviously losing records. And then 99, uh, after the two and five start, they finished strong enough to finish eight and eight. So as a fan, having understood what the Ravens did at the end of that 99 season, uh, what were the expectations going into the 2000 season for you before the Ravens even kicked off against Pittsburgh? Well, what I remember um, was the, the defense and the previous season really became hot at the end of the season. I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I thought they said they were the number one defense for the last six games. I may be wrong on that, but that's, that's what I remember hearing. And I, I was, you know, defenses win championships. Growing up, that's what I always saw. And that's what I still believe, um, you know, kind of like you saw last year, um, you know, the, uh, the Chiefs got shut down. And if you have a really, really good defense, it doesn't matter what offense you put up there, you can shut them down. And I was really excited because of how well the defense was, was coming along. I think, um, you know, other people that really knew football were saying the same thing as me, at least the people in, uh, in my social circle. But, you know, I, a lot of people still weren't paying attention yet. Um, because they're, you know, as the season went on, you had all of your bandwagon people, everybody jumping on the bandwagon. So, yeah, you know, I, th- I think you, you definitely did not have uh, as many fans at the beginning of the season as you did at the end. <laughs> right. I do want to say before we go on that, although 2000 was the first season I was really paying attention, I, I said after the week one game that I was going to watch every Ravens game that year. So, only half a bandwagon fit in, in that regard, right. but. <laughs> well, I don't know how much you remember. I kept talking it up to you, Peter, because I remember you went to a birthday party uh, the week we played the Redskins and yep. we lost to the Redskins, but I was extremely impressed how the defense played against them because the Redskins were still a good team at that point. And, um, you know, we shut down. I can't even remember who the quarterback was at the time because I wasn't a big Redskins fan. Uh, but like I said, I knew the Redskins were good and they were doing well. And um, we, we, I, I remember us pretty much shutting him down. And uh, I was really impressed with that. And I told you on the way home from that birthday party that, you know, we were going to make the playoffs. I told you that then. Yeah, I don't remember that specifically, but I think that has to, that, that checks out because 
one thing as as we'll talk about how the season goes, an interesting thing that I noticed when I was thinking back to my memories of that season was there just kind of seemed like an expectation that the Ravens were going to make the playoffs and go pretty deep. Um, (laughs) It just didn't seem really like, like that wasn't going to happen. And I mean, I guess when you're a kid, you know, adults around you tell you how to look at that and you're just kind of like, Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm going to believe what you say. But (laughs) I think at the same time you look at this at the team and I think early on, they were showing some signs that they could make a deep run. Uh, so some other things I want to talk about bef- uh, as far as the offseason of that team, before we get into talking about the regular season, the Ravens obviously had some key offseason signings. Trent Dilfer, obviously, was the eventual starting quarterback. Yeah. Um, and then something that I wasn't able to really figure out anything, but an incredibly essential signing for that team was the fact that they were able to sign Shannon Sharp and free agency. Um, He'd played for the Denver Broncos, obviously his whole career and won two Super Bowls with them. And I was just thinking, man, if the Ravens hadn't signed Shannon Sharp, like that would have been a huge blow to the offense. I don't know if you can remember why, how the Ravens were able to convince Shannon Sharp to come to, to Baltimore and not go back to Denver, which he would do in 2002. I do not recall how we got him, I do recall everybody being excited that we got him. And like you said, um, you know, we were excited. We had a two-time Super Bowl winning uh, tight end. And um, he, I mean, he played very tough that season. And we were very lucky to get him. And then I think also in that vein, probably a much more under the radar signing at the time was Trent Dilfer. So I don't know if you can remember what, like, what was the deal with the quarterback situation there? Uh, Banks took over the second half of the season. Obviously, that's when the Ravens had more success in '99. Um, apparently, according to Wikipedia, the Ravens gave up two draft picks to trade for Banks um, before the '99 season. Uh, they were like a fifth and a seventh, I think, from what I could tell. Um, was there? Did the fan base feel that confident in Banks, or was it an expectation that Dilfer? would have a shot to take over at some point. Dilfer, from what I remember, nobody knew Dilfer. We, you know, we had to look him up and, uh, you know, he, he got hurt the year before Tampa Bay, didn't he? It was that year yeah. before. And, yeah. um, you know, Tampa Bay was doing nothing. I mean, Tampa Bay was always the, the laugh of the, uh, the NFL. Um, so the Trent Dilfer was definitely way under the radar. As, as far as quarterbacks are concerned, Tony Banks, um, you know, Baltimore was just looking for some franchise quarterback to take over. Um, you know, we started out with Vinny Testaverde. He seemed to do well a couple seasons. And then when he left, it was, you know, we just kept trying different quarterbacks. Um, the year before, I think it was the year before, wasn't it Scott Mitchell? Yeah, Scott Mitchell. And Jim this, Harbaugh there for a bit. <laughs> yeah. And, and the Scott Mitchell thing, for me personally, now, you know, a lot of people – liked Brian Billick. Uh, he had come from Minnesota, right? And he had yeah. uh, one of the best offenses at Minnesota. Um, he lost credibility with me. I'm sorry, after Scott Mitchell, because he, I remember watching him on the sports news and he sat there and he said, I'm bringing in Scott Mitchell. Um, they, I believe they paid him a lot of money at the time. And I remember sportscasters asking him, you know, why, you know, why are you bringing him in? I mean, you know, he, he, uh, he was from the lions, right? I think it was from the lions. And um, they're like, you know, he was a starter there. Why, why are we bringing him in here? And, and Brian Billick made a famous statement. He said, I know quarterbacks. I know quarterbacks. And he's going to be our franchise quarterback. And uh, it just did not happen, obviously. And, um, you know, he, I don't remember how many games he played. He only played like a couple games. It looks like uh, two. I'm looking up on Pro Football Reference. looks like he only started two games for the Ravens. Yeah, he was supposed to be our franchise quarterback. That was the term. I, I, I may be misquoting Brian Billick, but I'm, I'm, I pretty much remember hearing that, and maybe the sportscaster said it, not him. But he was supposed to be our franchise quarterback, and he played two games. And then we had Stoney Case, and Stoney Case was an exciting player. Uh, he, he had to scramble around a lot from what I remember, and um, he was fun to watch. But he didn't last much. And then Tony Banks came in. So quite honestly, we were all like, well, you know, somebody has to be our quarterback. Can't somebody <laughs> do well? We need to get somebody to do well here. So going into the season, you know, we had hopes for Tony Banks. And he started out well. I mean, you know, he, he did well. He beat, he beat Jacksonville. We talked about that earlier. How, you know, we had never beaten Jacksonville. 
Um, he beat Jacksonville. He did. He, he beat the Steelers. Although, I mean, the defense uh, had what three shutouts there in the beginning of the season. So, I mean, obviously the defense helped. But uh, once we hit that touchdown drought, which was totally baffling to all of us, it was like, how can you not get a touchdown <laughs> all those games? And how close some of them were was amazing, from what I remember. But you know, you had that that drought, and and uh, I remember hearing Billick say on. Uh, on the news, he said, you know, we have to try something. We have to. Um, I, we have a, a videotape from, uh, was it Sports Illustrated? I think it's off that videotape where they have Brian talking to, to Tony Banks. And he's saying to me, he says, look, we got to try something. I got to put Trent in there. You know, so we had to try something. And um, I don't know if you remember, Peter, but you were at that game, the, the Titans game. It's another home game. Yep. One of the, the first games I took you. No, it must have been second game. No, that was out. the first game. Yeah, the first the first Ravens game, and I, I I don't have too many specific memories of that game, but I actually do remember uh, Dilfer trotting onto the field to replace Tony Banks in what was it the early fourth quarter of that game, I think, and I do remember that touchdown pass that he that Kadri Ishmael it look, it looked maybe good he got to us. and maybe he didn't. Yeah, it, it lo- I remember it looking good at the stadium. Everyone was just like, it's a touchdown, but <laughs> refs would not overturn the call. So the touchdown drought uh, continued that game and would last yet another game. But Yep. I do recall the fans were uh, excited. I think the fans were cheering them on, and it wasn't, it wasn't so much as we don't want Tony Banks anymore. It was we want a touchdown. That's what, <laughs> the fans, I mean, that's what all the fans are saying around me. We need touchdowns. Right. Whoever can do it, we need touchdowns. So. Yeah, th- throw Tony Saragusa in there at quarterback if it's going to work. Just someone. <laughs> exactly. That's what we wanted. So, and then, uh, like I said, I guess it was one more game. Dilfer lost the next game, but then we, you know, we never lost after that. It's funny. Billick still thinks he knows quarterbacks with his uh, recently released book in 2000, The Q Factor, which I have yet to read. I really do want to read that. But yeah, I, I know what you mean because, man, we had such a treadmill of quarterbacks in Baltimore that time period with Billick. It was unbelievable. And mm-hmm. uh, obviously, you know, not to, to spoil, but I think everyone knows this story. It's like Dilfer comes in, <laughs> he wins the Super Bowl, and he's unceremoniously left out uh, of the next year. And I know the the word Elvis Gerback or the name Elvis Gerback brings back bad memories in Baltimore. And I, I, I'm still so curious the alternate timeline where he has Jamal Lewis, what happens there. But uh, that's neither here nor there, uh, and just a, a, a very interesting saga. Now, something I did not recall from when I was watching this season as well, which mm-hmm. we've talked about many times on the show, where like, somehow that was our first season that we all started watching. I think it's just a, the right age for us. We were about eight. And the question is, I didn't realize this until I watched the America's Game again, that apparently like Dilfer lost his playbook during the Tennessee game. Was this talked about at all? in the season, like leading up to the Tennessee game, or was it like a secret that no one knew about? Um, I, I actually heard it was Dilfer said somebody stole his playbook. That's what I thought I had heard. Yeah. And, like, yes. Like it was lost and he was convinced it was stolen by the Titans. And then like, he was further convinced it was stolen because they knew exactly what they were doing during yeah. that playoff game. He's like, they have it. No one's played us like this before. <laughs> yeah, they, they they talked about it. I think afterwards, but quite honestly, if that is true. Then that's that that tells me how much better Dilfer is because I mean Dilfer was able, to, you know, to to improvise. Right? If they knew his place, he had to improvise out of it, right? So, to me, that that showed me how much better of a quarterback he was. Yeah, it's also just fascinating too because, like, I don't know. I don't. Everyone know all the plays at this point, like. It's not really a secret the kind of things you run unless it, like, they learn terminology so they were able to better tell those things. Right. It's like the plays that you run are like not really a secret. Like you know, you watch the, we watch every week and sometimes we can call the play. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you're you're going to have some core plays that like everybody has and they just, you know, tweak them a little bit. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, part of that I think was traumatized for the America's game, right? <laughs> I mean, right. like let's well, let's be honest. I mean, it's made there, it's made there for the drama, right? You know, just because you have a playbook, it's, yeah. it's it's all about the, you know, what are the calls that are being made and the, the formations that you're going to run and what plays you're going to run out of them and stuff like that. So, I'm sure for an offense led by Trent Dilfer and Jamal Lewis, like it wasn't really a secret, right? I mean, Dilfer even told you <laughs> in there. He's like, if it's not going to Jamal, it's going to Shannon or whoever's open, right? It's not. I'm not throwing it anywhere where I can't throw it. 
<laughs> it's not like a Lamar Jackson offense where you have like these uh, mesh concepts and things that you don't know. You actually don't know where the ball is going to go until it happens, right? There's only yep. so many things. Yeah, before we move on, though, I do want to get back to that touchdown drought that the Ravens had. Um, we did touch on in a bit that even back in 2000 where, you know, you didn't have as many of the rules that really favor the offense and limit what the defense can do. Like that was still back in that time, just astounding that a team could go five games, an NFL professional team to go five games without scoring a touchdown. Right. But you look at how the Ravens were able to push through that. They went two and three during that period. And in their losses, like, you know, you were saying dad, that they were close losses they lost to Washington by seven, Tennessee by eight, Pittsburgh by three. It's really incredible that the Ravens did that, but just such a testimony to that defense that they were able to not derail the fast start that they had during that time and just be able to kind of tread water until they were able to figure out the quarterback position. Right. They hung in there. And just one other point I was thinking of, uh, as far as, like you said, the games were close. From what I remember, you know, it wasn't those those touchdown uh, the games without the touchdowns. It wasn't like we were being blown out. It wasn't like three and out, three and out, three and out. We were marching up and down the field. We were we were you know taking up time. I think we still one time of possession yeah. in some of those games. It was it was very odd, and we kept the defense off the field most of that season. The offense chewed up the clock, and that was another reason the, the defense. Uh, did as well as they did. They were they were always fresh when they came in there, but they were so dominant that they could pull off the three and out, and then we would go out there and do a long, long drive, kick a field goal, and then you know defense would come in three and out. We did it again. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at this game against the the Tennessee Titans that we keep bringing up. The Ravens uh, had 368 total yards of offense in that game. The defense gave up 191 yards to the Titans. <laughs> wow, that's and at that point. Just, uh, time of possession. Uh, time of possession is not up here. I could try and find it if we want to use the magic of editing for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dude, all I want to talk about is that the Titans game. Ah, this this just grinds my gears, man. Titans games where we just get more yards and we know what to do with. Don't score. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. Exactly. Oh man, uh, twenty nineteen in a nutshell, man. <laughs> Uh, it's crazy, and then and then you go to um, so after the touchdown drought, they said the Ravens scored three touchdowns against Cincinnati to win that game easily, twenty-seven to seven. Dilfer's first win as a starter that, that would kick off the the win streak that would last towards the Super Bowl. So then you had a very exciting game against the Titans after that. I actually watched a condensed half hour of of that game last night. Um, very interesting to, to watch that. Even still, the offense outgained the Titans offense 361 yards to 286 so like obviously the Titans would win the division but I think you look at how the Ravens played the Titans even in splitting two close games and they had to feel like they were definitely without doubt the better team yep and there was always a balanced attack because the the one thing they still say today is is that you know Dilfer wasn't throwing the ball they kept they kept saying our offense wasn't you know, that exciting because we didn't throw the, the long passes and, and had, you know, we ran a lot, but it was, it was pretty balanced from what I remember. And Dilfer, when you look back at, uh, like I said, a sports illustrated video, we have that uh, Peter's brother, Stephen would watch all the time when he was uh, <laughs> four years old. Um, you know, when Dilfer threw the ball long, he, he completed, I mean, he, he could throw the long ball. Um, just like the, you know, the first touchdown in the Super Bowl when, uh, you know, he hit Brandon Stokely. Um, that's why looking back, whenever people say to me, you know, Dilfer wasn't that exciting. Um, he may not have been that exciting, but he got the job done. I mean, he did what he needed to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think, you know, especially in this age of, of fantasy football, which all of us here are guilty of of indulging in that. You look so much at, at the, who are the flashy players who can make the highlight real plays and are selling jerseys. And I mean, obviously we got that right now in Lamar Jackson and Lamar's had a lot of success, but you know, sometimes you can also get wins out of a guy who just doesn't turn the ball over, knows how to play the position and has, you know, just an 
alpha confidence in him. Um, as I know we were talking about in the chat how it one one thing you can ne- never blame Dilfer for is uh, his his confidence. He's a very confident guy in fully understanding what his limitations were, but also that he was an NFL quarterback. Damn it! And if he was out there on the field, he was capable of winning the game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was. It, you know, watching that America's game, it was scary. Kind of like the similarities between him and, and Flacco, especially in 2011, 2012, where um, they had this mindset of like, you know, like I'm out here, I'm like one of the top players, like, you know, basically that whole conversation in the off season before 2012, where Flacco said he was an elite quarterback. Like a lot of people look at that as, as a meme, right? They're like, yeah. Flacco's not an elite quarterback, but like the, it's the, the thing is the mindset, right? It's like, he thought that he was an elite quarterback. He thought that he was going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. <laughs> Dilfer had the same thing like I'm, as I'm listening to like his interviews during this America's game I'm like this guy thinks that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL <laughs> yeah. now whether that's true or not remains to be seen but the point is is like he knows like the ultimate goal is to win right and at least for that season he was able to get it done and I, yeah at the end of the day that's winning on all that matters exactly I love this commitment to just like I don't care about concepts I'm getting it my best players at all times <laughs> Like if Shannon Sharp's open, well, darn Shannon Sharp's getting the ball. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I mean, he, may, he may not knew that at the time, but Shannon Sharp is a Hall of Fame player. So that's right. Like, I mean, may yeah, no, it totally makes players. sense. I mean, it kind of felt like a kid playing Madden, right? That was the same kind of audacity that Dilfer had. <laughs> and yeah. I like it. And and one one phrase I've said to Peter and uh, and his brother Stephen before: to make it to the NFL, you have to be the best of the best of the best. In, period in, in the first place and then once you get there it, you know it, it's attitude it's confidence it's you know the mental aspect of the game and some players lose that like Elvis Gerback did the next year I mean Elvis Gerback came to us and he retired um he uh he it looked to me like he lost his confidence towards the end of the season right. and uh, Trent Dilfer you know he threw an interception against what was it against the Titans in uh, Tennessee I think it was towards the end of the game yeah, yeah, it was that game. That almost blew the game, and I've seen videotape of Brian Billick on the sideline going nuts, and he's like, you know, Trent, ah, and he's screaming, and you know, and, and Trent Dilber came right back out there in the next series and just drove him down the field and got a touchdown, from what I remember. Yep. Um, he, yep. he, had, he had the right mentality, and he had the right chemistry with the rest of the team. Just one other thing before I forget, you know, I've, I've heard this over and over again from Ray Lewis and from other um other defensive players they said before the game they would go to Trent they'd say you know how many points you think you can score today and you know Trent would say I think 17 he said all right well we got our goal we're not going to give up more than 16 and that's what they did and that's they they said that's how they won the last seven they'd ask Trent what he could do and uh, Trent gave him some number so the defense knew what they had to do and they had that great chemistry um even you know I think even I saw Ray Lewis saying he had that great chemistry with them and that's something that you can't by, you know, there are plenty of teams out there like going into baseball a second, how the Yankees always try to buy a team and they usually buy a bunch of egos and these guys can't get along with each other. They just don't have that, that, that chemistry. Um, the Ravens had that chemistry and that's why, you know, I was extremely upset when they got rid of Trent Dilfer. Um, we didn't say it before. We're the only teams who have ever done that to, to outright get rid of a, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. You know, there have been other teams where they benched the Super Bowl winning quarterback the next year, but they didn't get rid of him. And we outright got rid of him, which was ridiculous. Just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think in hindsight, a lot of Ravens fans do wonder, like, just bring Dilfer back to, if, if you want to sign Gerback or some other quarterback to try and improve on what Dilfer did, why not at least just bring Dilfer back to compete for the, the starting spot? Exactly. Or, or, be the, or be the backup again that you know can win. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If it, if the how many backups have you seen, especially lately, that come in the game and they blow the game? They exactly. Win. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dilfer, at the very least, could have been the Nick Foles. Sure. Exactly. I think it's really interesting that after that Tennessee game, the dramatic game we we're just talking about, where uh, the Ravens almost lost the game, but then they came back and won the game in the final seconds. Uh, the rest of the regular season was was pretty easy for them they came back and they shut out dallas at home uh blew out cleveland 44 to 7 
had a bye week in week 14, apparently. I guess back then he only had 31 teams, so he would have the bye week any week. Chargers beat them 24-3. to That was when they actually clinched the playoffs. Had a tough game in Arizona, I guess, 13-7. to I actually don't remember that game at all. That's the only game that I actually have no recollection of. And then uh, had a little bit of a tough time beating the Jets, but would get by that one 34 to 20 on two kickoff returns, sorry, punt returns from Jermaine Lewis. But from what I remember, the, 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 the Jets jumped out quick on us in that game. And I actually got a little bit worried because uh, I knew we, you know, if we definitely wanted to make the playoffs, we had to win. Um, yeah. Well, especially for that home game too. Right. So the, the Jets, did, the Jets game did worry me a little bit in the very beginning, but then uh, defense settled down and, you know, it was just lights out. Yeah. So leading up to that, there was, uh, the infamous uh, Festivus Maximus, where Brian Billick was going to fine players if they mentioned the playoffs. And then after the Ravens did make it, that's when he went and uh, gave the team the challenge of time to for them to go to the Super Bowl to come and go get it. And I think if you look at that, that's a an interesting part of the season. I think you know a lot of coaches will say that and plenty of coaches have, have said, you know, this is the year for us to win the Super Bowl, and then they don't back that up. But I think it is interesting looking back on that and uh, just seeing how in tune the team was and the, their confidence that, you know, they had the players and the opportunity to go out and do that, even at that point, still two weeks to go till the postseason. Yep. Well, I, I think they all knew – they were going to the playoffs when they beat the Titans in Tennessee. Um, you know, and, and remember after the game, you had that, that video with Brian Billick holding up the uh, magazine. I think it's Sports Illustrated again, right? It said Titans right. are the yeah. best team in the NFL. And you have Billick saying, not today. You know, and they, they all felt it. They all felt that, you know, they were the best team in the NFL because they just beat who everybody else thought was the best team in the NFL. One question I wanted to ask before we get more into the, I guess, the playoff run was the notion that when Billy came in, was there an expectation that he was going to improve the offense? Because I know, obviously, he had this great offense with the Vikings that he came mm-hmm. from. And I know he said in the America's game how he hated that he was winning with his defense. Like, it was a complete flip of the script from what he was used to. Yep. As fan base, were you thinking that they were going to be able to put it together, particularly with adding guys like Shan Sharp? And I know they had Stokely, who was young at the time, and Patrick Johnson. Quadre's mile. Yep. Um, I can remember that I thought he was definitely going to make the offense better. Uh, there was, I believe, there was an expectation because, like you said, we got him from Minnesota. That was one of the one of his selling points that you know he had, quote unquote, the greatest offense up to that point. Um, but I also remember I personally wanted a new coach because we had Ted March of Broda, right? Wasn't he the the coach beforehand? Right. Yeah. March of Broda. Uh, was a, a co- coach for the Colts. And when March Bray was here with the Colts, the, the, the Colts offense, from what I remember, wasn't that great. And uh, I just wanted anybody else in there other than March Broda. I wanted him gone personally. Uh, that's my opinion. But uh, yeah, I, I, at first, I liked uh, Billy coming in because, like I said, March Broda would be out and we would at least have a different offense. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, from some of the other, yeah, some of the other people I've talked to back in the day, like, you know, Billick was supposed to be that guy to bring in that offense. I mean, think of it. You had Randall Cunningham. You had Chris Carter. You had Randy Moss. You had these insane names, like all of these guys, like Hall of Fame players on this offense. And Billick was the coach. Like, that was supposed to be the sign. Like, basically, anytime, you know, I think if, if Ravens fans think that John Harbaugh is on the hot seat and they're like, who's the next big name in the offense, right? And they want to go out and get this person. That's who Billick was at that time right that's the expectation level here and so yeah when he came out and like wasn't producing that's pretty crazy <laughs> like it shows you like as a fan like sometimes even though you may think that you want the best person there it may not be the best person there not saying that billick was the worst you know i think he, he was you know overall i think in his uh, overall i think he was a pretty good coach but but still like just because you're so good at one you know particular area that doesn't mean that's going to translate exactly and the, the part where he didn't like winning with defense, I did hear him say that. If you look, like I said, if you look at history, like I said, the defenses win the championships. Baltimore history, the Colts during the 60s, they were like always the top offense and the top defense. 
Um, I think when we won the 68 championship, I, I believe we were the number one offense and defense. You have, you have to look that up, but we were, we were, we were right, right up there. We always had, you know, you know, an excellent defense and excellent offense, very similar to the uh, 49ers during, during the 80s when they won their four uh, Super Bowls. You know, they were always fantastic on defense, fantastic on offense. And whenever they got the ball, some games were boring because the other team couldn't do anything because, uh, you know, they, they just couldn't score against them. And then, you know, whenever, uh, you know, the 49ers got the ball, they were just marching straight down the field. And, you know, and once again, you're talking about superstars on those teams like Jerry Rice and, and, and such. But, um, the expectation was we had a fantastic defense. It seemed to be building up, seemed to be getting better. And like you said, bringing Billick in, we would have a fantastic offense now and have a complete team. You know, nobody ever expected the defense to, to, to fall off. You know, we always knew we'd have the defense. But, yes, definitely we wanted an offense to match that. I guess moving into the playoffs, now that we are there, as we talked about earlier, the first game that the Ravens played was a home wildcard game against the Denver Broncos and the Ravens would go on to win this game easily 21 to three. One thing that I found interesting, uh, because I know I was, don't recall, uh, knowing anything of what the Broncos were doing before that game that year was the Broncos actually had one of the top offenses in the NFL that season. And the Ravens, uh, held them to only three points. Um, as we said earlier, once the Ravens beat the Titans, they, kind of knew that they had an excellent shot at doing things, going, making a deep run. But uh, going into that game, uh, was the expectation that the game would be as easy as it ended up being for the Ravens? Nope. As a matter of fact, I remember hearing what you hear a lot these days, you know, about other teams that, that, that the press hasn't, uh, you know, understood yet. Um, I remember them saying, you know, the Ravens defense, oh, this is the first time they're going to face a high-powered offense like the Broncos. <laughs> you know, oh, we'll, we'll see how they handle the Broncos. And, um, you know, I, I, the press was just against the Ravens the whole way in the playoffs. The, the, you know, the Ravens were the underdog. They seemed to like it. They seemed to play up to that. Um, you know, I, I really think the defense loved being the underdogs. They wanted to, you know, show everybody. But, uh, yeah, definitely – you know, it was first the Broncos were supposed to be able to beat us, and they didn't. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, we, when we went on to uh, the Titans, I remember them saying, you know, oh, whoever wins this game is definitely going to the Super Bowl. And then when we beat the Titans and we had to go to Oakland, they're saying, oh, well, well, okay, whoever wins this game. Well, obviously, they were going to the Super Bowl because that was the AFC Championship game. But, you know, after saying – Whoever wins the Titans Ravens game was going to the Super Bowl. They backed off on that right away when the when the Ravens won it. It was funny. <laughs> oh man, I, I think that's that's true because I, I I think I re- remember watching the pregame show before the AFC Championship game, and I remember the majority of the analysts picking the Raiders. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I remember yep. that correctly, yeah, they were picking the Raiders. To, you know, Rich Gannon. Oh, he was going to do something. Yeah, Tony Saragusa showed him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, man. I got a Tony Saragusa story I got to share. So we watched last night the Super Bowl, and uh, Rachel watched with me until she fell asleep about I don't know, around halftime, which I can understand. Actually, it's a pretty boring game, all things considered. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, she falls asleep. But one of her comments was, God, they're huge. Like between him and Sam Adams, she was like, they don't build them like that anymore. And I'm like, yeah, they really don't. Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And I told her how, like, you know, he just belly flopped on Rich Gannon to get him out of the game. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, he was built different. It was a different kind of football back then. There's lots of things you could comment about just watching the 2000 games as a fan now. Uh, but, yeah, like, those two guys are just huge. Yeah. And and Tony Saragusa, I'm maybe paraphrasing. I don't, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but I believe he said he knew he got Rich Gannon, uh, Gannon good. Because he said he heard all the wind come out of him when he landed on him. He, said, he knew he knocked the wind out of him. So he said he knew he got him good. Oh, man. <laughs> I I can't find the quote, but I, I'm i pretty sure that I think at some point Saragusa said that whenever he, get, he got a sack in the NFL, he always made sure to hit the quarterback a little extra because he said any quarterback that – that got sacked by me, like that was on them, and that like, that was on, that was because they messed up. So he was gonna make sure they paid for it. Exactly. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. 
you see this body? This, I'm not a speed rusher. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that's crazy, too, is like you're watching it and the audacity of some of these teams. I guess, you know, NFC teams like the, the Giants, like they hadn't had to play the Ravens yet. And they have the audacity to run like a double move concept that needs four or five seconds to develop. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> he got sacked. You know, like, <laughs> right. I was like watching it and I was like, what are they doing? It's Idiots. a different, just a different league, man. Like offenses and defenses, you know, the Ravens just, the, the fact that like the Ravens could be asked the offense to be like, how many points you got? 17. They'd be like, okay, cool. Like, and then go out and hold a team to less than that many points. Like you, like, the Ravens have had a good defense the last couple of years, but you're not going to find that sort of stuff. Like even the best defenses in this league, like they're going to have some bad games. They're going to give up more than 20 points. That's just the way it is now. But they, yeah, you look at the offense too. It's just like, you know, they're either running the ball in these like halfback dives or like, you know, toss plays or whatever, or they're doing these like, you know, uh, five, seven, you know, seven second step drops, you know, play action sort of stuff. And you just don't, you don't see that anymore. I thought I heard Ray Lewis say recently that he did change some rules that the defense yeah. can do. So that's why, you know, that's why some of these offensive plays can set up nowadays. But, uh, you know, I think I thought they asked Ray Lewis if, um, you know, if he, if he would be able to stop Lamar Jackson. And I think he just like laughed. But um, <laughs> I don't think it matters what era he fell into. He was going to be hard to stop. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think another uh, interesting thing we're talking about football back in 2000 versus now is, is you know, the Ravens did all that defense, um, defensive dominance in 2000 through the the 4-3, which is a, a formation that's pretty much uh, dead in the modern NFL with um, all the spread concepts out and defense is so pre- predicated to defending the pass. And really the Ravens defense, as good as, you know, they had a pretty good secondary, but really that defense... Uh, worked by stopping the run up front with Saragusa and Adams stopping at the line. And that freed up Ray Lewis to run sideline to sideline and then basically forcing teams to pass. And at that point, you know, Chris McAllister and Dwayne Starks could just be ball hawks at that point. Um, And also just what's really interesting uh, from coming from a, we were new fans at that time. I think with that being the team you were introduced to as a, you know, learning the game, it gave you a chance to appreciate the defensive side of the ball, which, you know, usually, you know, young fans, you go to the watch the, any sport, you're drawn to the offense first. Obviously, that's what, you know, is selling the cereal boxes and the the highlights. But that defense wasn't just dominant. Like, they were uh, extremely fun to watch when they were uh, on their A game and shutting down these offenses. Yeah. And they... Uh... I guess people still consider them number two to the 1985 Bears, but uh, I forget which statistic it is that uh, people do that for. But I I watched the 85 Bears as well, and I I still think the 2000 Ravens were more dominant than the 85 Bears. There is a fun argument that some people I've seen on the internet will will say will say that the 2000 Ravens defense was overrated because of the offenses they played in the regular season. Apparently. If you go back and really look at what quarterbacks they faced, like aside from Burnell and McNair, like they didn't really play the top uh, passing offenses in the regular season. But I think you look at that argument, and it really crumbles though when you look at the postseason because we talked about how Denver was a really good offense that year. They didn't even score a touchdown against that defense. Um, They held the Tennessee offense to ten points and combined three points between the Raiders and the Giants offense. I mean, the only Giants points they got was from that kickoff return. So it's like, yep. if you're going to use that argument, it's it, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> and, yeah. and the defense did not give up the touchdown to the offense in the Super Bowl. The special, right. teams, yep. special teams scored. And if I remember correctly, didn't, uh, didn't the Giants blow out Minnesota uh, in, the, in the NFC championship game? They did. They yeah. did, yep, yeah. yep. I remember that because, oh, they did. Yeah, because for whatever reason, as a kid, like, I liked the Vikings as well. I don't know. Maybe I just like purple football teams. I don't know. So I wanted the Vikings to win that game. I remember that. But (laughs) they got blown out. So I was like, oh, man, they're going to play the Giants. I don't know why I cared, but (laughs) that was. I do remember that the Vikings just did not show up in that game. Exactly. 
so you know that that was another um, you know storyline going into the Super Bowl that once again you know the Ravens had not ever you know played against an offense like the Giants. You know, look at look at the Giants just did. Oh, they're high powered and same thing. We just shut them down. So the one other thing that I noticed watching the whole season, one of the the best things about the defense was how they could adjust during a game. Um, you know, there were games where, you know, they, they gave up an early score. And after that happened, boom, they just shut them down. That was it. And they, they could adjust very well. So that's something that, that, that people don't keep stats on or, or so. Because like I said, the 85 Bears, to me, they always seem to play, you know, statically. And the Ravens play dynamically. And, you know, you, like I said, you could, you, you could see it happening. You, you, you could see them be able to, uh, you know, adjust to, to stop whatever scheme the other uh, offense was doing. Yeah, we talked about some of the parallels of the 2012 Super Bowl run. And this one with, you know, Dilfer and Flacco's attitude, maybe you could say the way that they tried to approach offense, I would say, obviously, Flacco's offense was much more efficient and much better, but the long ball was a big part of it. Like the way that I felt like every every highlight I would watch from that season was a Trent Dilfer like yeah. bomb, right? Like that's that's how they scored points. Like all the stuff in between was leading up to the bombs and uh I think another parallel is interesting too. the playoff run is when they beat Tennessee, that that middle game was us being the Broncos in 2012. Like I, I at least personally thought like Patriots have no shot. Like after we beat them, even though the Patriots, maybe some people thought were a better team. They weren't obviously the first seed, but they, uh, you know, have Tom Brady. Ooh, you know, I was like, "Ah, who cares? Like (laughs) we're the team this year, this team's special. They're going to do it. And uh, I think, you know, the 2000 season had a little bit of that as well, which is, it's kind of cool as a fan base. Maybe now we know the formula, you know? Maybe we have to have a big nasty, which I guess would be the Chiefs right now, that we have to beat in that, that middle game for us to go the whole distance. And one other point there is the, the, the 2000 Super Bowl run, um, we were talking about Shannon Sharp earlier. I just want to go back to him one second. Shannon Sharp, I believe, had a big play in all three of the, uh, the, the postseason games, right? I mean, the, yep. the Broncos game... Uh, he ended up uh, getting was it the, the deflected ball that was thrown to Jamal Lewis, ran that in for a touchdown. Yep. That yep. happened right in front of us where, yep. where we were sitting. And um, then he had you know was it the, the ninety eight yard touchdown run against uh, that Oakland? Oh yeah, I think that yeah. was Oakland. Yeah. And, he, and he had a big play in the Tennessee game that I can't recall at the moment because all all I can remember from that game was the Eddie George uh, when uh, Ray Lewis pulled the ball out of his hands. Yeah, but. Uh, I think he had a big, uh, big reception to um, set up a short Jamal Lewis touchdown in like the in the first half. I want to yeah. say broke free for like a forty yard reception. Yep. I mean, he. Like you were talking about him earlier, Peter. I mean, definitely. I don't think we we win the Super Bowl without Shannon Sharp. Um, and I don't. And, and like it was just saying, Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis was there for both of our Super Bowl runs. So you got to say that you know Ray was able to to rally the defense in both of those Super Bowl years. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That's why I was disappointed. I couldn't find any any information on how the Ravens got Shannon Sharp because I was just like, that's that's a story that should should be known among the yeah. fan base because it was, had <laughs> huge impact. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Going back to what you guys were saying before about you know uh, the 2000 uh, defense being fun to watch, I, I think for me it was definitely the the start of. I mean you know, 10 years, 15 years or something of, of the Ravens just having a, a really fun defense. You know, I've said on the show before, you know, Ed Reed, I think is, is probably one of probably my favorite Ravens player of all time. And, you know, for him, you know, I, I know he wasn't here for the Super Bowl team, but only two short years later, I mean, he was there continuing what the 2000 Ravens defense started and just making defense fun to watch. And, you know, it's just, it it's crazy that, you know, unfortunately only, you know, only the uh, 2000 defense up until 2012 was the only team to be able to, to win a Super Bowl. But gosh, you just think about so many of the just great players that we had on defense from, you know, that 12 year run of just, you know, all these guys just making it so much fun to watch. I mean, you know, if we had any other fans who, you know, you know, maybe the weren't Ravens fans weren't like, you know, seeing these this team every day, but, you know, we're able to watch them enough to know, like, just gosh these guys are so spoiled like look at all these defensive <laughs> players that they have on this team it's just like absolutely so stacked 
it's it's pretty cool to to think about and you know uh appreciate uh given all this time and i, I you know I'm, I'm so glad that you know the ravens were able to win again in 2012 because a lot of these names like holy nada troll suggs ed reed all these guys like finally got the super bowl even though they, i mean they've been trying for years and years and years and with so many great defenses they just weren't able to to recreate that magic until 2012 you know it's also another crazy thing you brought up ed reed is that there was an ed reed look-alike on the team during the 2000 season he wore number 20 he played safety <laughs> And he was the last person to wear number 20 other than Ed Reed probably ever for the Ravens and Kim Herring. That guy almost had two picks on the first drive yeah. in, the, in the Super Bowl. And I was watching him and I was like, dude, what's going on here? I, mem- I remember him being good, but like it was just kind of funny. And he, he was a ball hawk there. Yeah, I think he's definitely one of the underrated names on that defense. Probably one with just with all the other guys on that who are out there. Obviously, Lewis, Syracuse, Bullware, Sharper. McCrary, Burnett, McAllister, Starks. Um, who did I forget? Uh, Woodson. How could I forget Woodson? Hall of Famer. Yeah, Her- Herring is probably the, the last guy you mentioned, but still a very, very good player at that time. Just He was just surrounded by so many other incredible players. Exactly. <laughs> I do also think that's interesting. I, I wonder how many other teams, like, how many other fan bases can can rattle off the name of the starting defense that quickly? I don't even I don't think I can do that for the 2012 defense as quickly. I mean that team, you know they they had a good defense, but it was definitely one of the the worst ones under Harbaugh. Yeah. It's just you 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 don't usually see that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's weird too because I guess you have some players in there that like they were like strong rotational players, right? I feel like, I don't know if that's like a modern thing, I guess, of just like a lot more rotations. I know we talk about in, uh, you know, during the season that uh, Wing Martindale is so good about rotating players in and out and, and managing snaps and things like that. But uh, even back to 2012, I mean, gosh, you had like, you know, Ladarius Webb would have been a starter, but he was out week six uh, against that Cowboys game. So he wasn't there. So I guess you had Kerry Williams, Jimmy Smith. Corey Graham. Uh, Corey Graham. And beyond that, I don't remember at the moment. Well, I think... It has a lot to do with the offenses we're seeing too, right? Because there was reason to stay in base personnel a lot more when you had I formations and, uh, you know, the, just the kind of offenses that they were throwing at you, you're more inclined not to go into a nickel as much or a dime, et cetera. What's that formation where they had like the, the tailback and the fullback, like both like lining up like directly behind the tackles? It's oh, like yeah. It's a T formation. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's it's, one you definitely it's don't Madden, see anymore. But like, I never, yeah, yeah, I never really seen in football right. now or even back then. I did see the Ravens lineup in that quite a bit when I was watching that uh, that Tennessee game. I was like, man, that's a relic of the past. You don't see teams use that at all anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's also just cool watching Ray Lewis when he was younger because he definitely thinned out later on in uh, his career. I don't know if that was to keep up his speed. He had to, <laughs> but he wasn't as big in uh, twenty twelve as he was back in two thousand. I know the pads are different too, but you could just tell like the way. He, um, you know, he takes off the pads. The way he was carrying his weight was different. I may may had be bigger to to carry the bigger pads. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Me that too. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Just to close out, just you know, talk a little bit about what the legacy of this team has been. And you know, Dad, you were talking about at the beginning how at the beginning of the 2000 season the fan base wasn't as big, and then I had a lot of people hop on the bandwagon. I guess just like what you remember seeing, because I mean. From my perspective, like I was just learning what the heck the Ravens were, and like I didn't really see any. The Ravens were just the team that was here, so I didn't really notice if there was a shift in the fan base at all. But I mean, now obviously the Ravens are, like Chris was saying, insanely popular here. That kind of just solidified after the Super Bowl. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, I mentioned to you that, that that's when I got the the PSLs to get the uh, season tickets. And uh, when I went down to the stadium, there were a ton of PSLs for sale. I had my picks of anywhere in the stadium to, to get a seat. And as I was uh, picking them, the person I was talking to said, you know, they were, they were uh, getting snatched up left and right. Probably, I I forget at what point all the PSLs were, were sold out, or at least the, the amount of the ones they were going to sell uh, happened. But um, it definitely wasn't too much longer after they won the Super Bowl. And the reason I went and bought the PSLs at that point in time and everybody else did, that was a guarantee to get the playoff tickets. There was no guarantee that uh, you could get a playoff ticket from the Ravens unless you had a PSL. 
Um, so that's that's the main reason I I did that at that time. And um, but yeah, like I said, the stadium was not sold out prior to the playoff run. So I think a lot more people jumped on the bandwagon. And then uh, afterwards, uh, I forget did. Why, why is it we didn't go to the uh, the parade, Peter? Was it you couldn't miss school or something? <laughs> probably. Yeah, why we didn't go <laughs> to the parade. It probably was that. <laughs> I can't remember the specifics on yeah. that. <laughs> but uh, no, definitely, uh, it, it, it was a different, to me, it was a different world before the, uh, the Super Bowl win and after, as far as how popular the Ravens were. Because like, like I said to you, there were still people that were following other teams. Like I said, after the Colts left, even when Baltimore came, even when the Ravens came here, um, like I told you, that first season, definitely there were a ton of people that uh, were still rooting for other teams. Um, there were people that didn't like that the Ravens weren't called the Colts. They wanted them to be the Colts again, you know. Um, and then people were uh, hesitant to, um, you know, latch on to a Baltimore team named the Ravens instead of the Colts. I, I do remember attitudes like that. Yeah, definitely makes sense. I think in in a perfect world, the Colts never leave Baltimore, and we have that connection between the generations uh, with the team, like we do with the Orioles currently. Exactly. But yeah. um, at least we have a team, and at least that team has won a couple Super Bowls so far, and hopefully we'll get one with Lamar. But we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah. I think one other thing to close out. It's interesting. We talked about how Billick was supposed to turn the offense around didn't exactly happen but and the Ravens just kind of you know he went along with it just like okay we got the defensive players we got players on offense that can get us into position to score enough points and that's just how we're going to win because that's what we have uh it's really been interesting that really for the next 20 years that's basically what the philosophy of this team is has stayed at is you yeah. know it's the defense you know maybe was there were some years where it wasn't quite as dominant as 2000, um, but almost every year you're winning mainly through defense and running the ball and really only passing when you have to. Even now with Lamar Jackson, you got a, a quarterback who can run and pass, so you're still running the ball quite a bit. <laughs> it's just really interesting that you know that that worked in 2000. Kind of worked in 2012, although 2012 the defense faltered and Joe Flacco had his his magic four games. But overall, that seems to be the Ravens had success with that formula. And whether it's just by that was just the players they got, or they were just like, okay, this is what what we're it's going to be our identity. More or less, that's just what they've been. Yep, and and that's you know just going back to Bill for a second. That's one of the things that hurt me. Because the, the, the talk at the time was, you know, like we said, oh, you know, Elvis Gerback uh, threw for 5,000 yards the year before. And, and Gerback was a Pro Bowl quarterback. Well, Dilfer was a Pro Bowl quarterback as well. He, he went to the Pro Bowl. And, um, you know, if you look at Elvis Gerback's earlier years, I, I, I thought I looked it up the other day. I mean, his, his first few years, he only threw for like 1,500 yards himself. It was his last two seasons before coming to Baltimore that he threw like 4,000 one season, 5,000 the other. And for some reason, people thought that was, that was better. That was flashier. But if you look at some of the most successful Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, take a look at the uh, first two Super Bowls that the Steelers won with Terry Bradshaw. There was hardly any throwing in that game. Terry Bradshaw, I, I think up in, you know, for the longest time, that was like um, one of the lowest uh, passing yardage uh, Super Bowl wins. Um, the first two ones he did. Now the second two, they threw more. Um, there's more some some better highlights from his third and fourth Super Bowl. But he won four Super Bowls in his first two. Uh, as far as the offensive performance was concerned, people think it was a yawn. Um, so you know, like I said earlier, if you can get it done and you can win a Super Bowl, that's what you do. Trent Dilfer should have stayed. I think we could have repeated. And um, one thing. We didn't talk about was how we had to purge the team two years later because we spent so much money on, uh, on Cersei and who never played a, a single down for us because he got hurt and Gerber. We threw a ton of money at them. Um, had we just, if we hadn't thrown that much money at them, we may not have, you know, had to purge as many players as we did later on. We could have kept some of those players. We, you know, we could have been a dominant 
defense for much longer and then still, you know, just keep him uh, what people are calling a mediocre quarterback. I didn't think he was. I thought he was a great quarterback. He could win. Um, you know, so Billick uh, trying to show that he was it's this offensive genius you know, ruined the Ravens as far as I'm concerned. That's my personal opinion. We should be talking about three, uh, three-peat here instead of uh, one Super Bowl. Just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought exercise. Unfortunately, we'll never know. But, I mean, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a compelling argument that things could have gone gone better uh, had uh, they kept Dilfer and, and not spent as much money in 2001 free agency, certainly. Yeah. I feel like Dilfer is the uh, Tim Tebow of the Ravens. Yeah. <laughs> like, had some success and, like, lots of controversy when he had to leave the team. And... uh kind of a mystery what he could have been afterwards huh peter's looking at me like i'm crazy <laughs> you don't, you don't think, think so i think it's an imperfect analogy but i at, at a base level <laughs> i get what you're saying <laughs> I mean, Tim- tebow never won a super bowl he never got close oh, sure, sure no i know but he did beat the the steelers and i, he did I beat the steelers, yeah. yeah he did Tim, he did Tim tebow was still a little controversial uh, obviously more controversial than trent dilford but quite honestly, everyone I talked to who was around through the 2000 season, I, I can't I can't think of anybody who has said to me, you know, we should have got rid of Dilford. I can't I can't name you anybody who said we should have got rid of Dilford. Yeah, no, this is true. I definitely yeah yeah. Honestly, I mean, just look look. I mean, look look at all the successful quarterbacks the Ravens have had, right? I mean, the, at least the ones that won, right? Look at Dilford. Look at Flacco. I mean, you can put Lamar in there, even though he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. Like it's, I, I'd say it's a similar concept of like, you know, ultimately what they do, they win games, right. right? Even though Lamar hasn't won the big game yet, like his win percentage is very good. Um, you know, obviously he has to make that next step, but uh, Flacco, same thing. You know, first five years, like won a ton of games, won a lot of playoff games. I mean, I think it was ten and five. I think it was his uh, playoff record. That's yeah. insane. Um, I think, I guess at this point, I think, I think Harbaugh is still the top coach in terms of like road games won in the playoffs. I mean, you know, those things matter at the end of the day. You know, you certainly want to be able to win it all, but you got to win more games than you lose. Yep. So and I think a lot of those quarterbacks for the Ravens, like you know, even though they weren't flashy, they weren't the you know best quarterbacks in the league. You know, they're 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 not the uh, uh, the guys that you look to if you look to the best quarterbacks. Like, bottom line, they win right. games. And then you're you're hitting on the point that I was trying to make. You know, like like I said, just trying to compare to Terry Bradshaw. Do you think Pittsburgh, you know, cares that Terry Bradshaw wasn't all that flashy in his first two uh, Super Bowl wins? You know, they they've got six wins altogether. Four from Terry Bradshaw. Yeah. That's what they talk about. They talk about we have six wins. They don't talk about, you know, we had the best wins. We had the flashiest wins. No, you, you want to win. That's it. That's number one. Right. Trade all the flash in the world for the, the Super Exactly. Bowl, for sure. Well, thanks so much for joining the show and, and providing us all those insights in the 2000 season and, and before and a little bit after. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to you again. I guess if you got through this whole episode and you're wondering, hey guys, are you going to talk about assigning a wide receiver finally? Yeah, probably eventually. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we figured it could wait. We wanted to do this episode, um, celebrate our 100th episode, and go backwards in time a little bit. I'm sure there's plenty of other people going crazy about Sammy Watkins. That uh, will come soon. We'll also talk about LJ Fort coming back uh, in, a, in a future episode. But it, thanks so much for listening. You can subscribe. Anywhere you get your podcast, reach out to us, feedback at ravensrecap.com or on Twitter, ravens underscore recap. Appreciate all the conversation we've been getting, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>